0: Welcome back to 7 Seconds or More. This is episode 40, our one-year anniversary pod. I know I talked about it last week, but it is actually happening. I am your host, as always, Peter Howarth, and we are going to be joined by everyone who's been on the show in the last year. And we got a full slate for you, a lot of different topics. So without much further ado, I'm just going to send you into it first with Duncan and Dan. Starting off the show, I'm joined, as always, by Duncan and Dan. How are you guys doing?
1: Pretty good. Can not be better. Can not be better.
0: It's been been one year. Uh, I think you two are the most uh, frequent uh, hosts on the show, other than myself. So congrats. We made it. We made it. Um, we're going to start talking about the MVP, because uh, as soon as I do a 20-minute podcast so just talking about the MVP... Uh, Everything changes and flips on its head again. Uh, As of this morning, NBA.com's MVP ladder now has Nikola Jokic as their number one MVP, followed by Joel Embiid and Giannis Antetokounmpo. Of course, Embiid shot up the rankings over the course of the past month. Uh, Briefly around the All-Star break, Giannis had his time in the sun, and then to start the year, Tatum was the leader, so... It seems like it can go anywhere between the three of Jokic, Embiid, and Giannis. Dan, just, uh, it's hard to block out all the noise, but who is your MVP?
1: Mine is Joel Embiid. I want to see him get it. And, you know, as you said, it's been flip-flopping back and forth. Uh, The Nuggets played against the Sixers, uh, and Embiid set out, and that people were saying that Embiid sitting out just ended the MVP conversation, and it just shows how you know fickle fans are and the media is. Um, Like Jokic drops a triple double against the Sixers, suddenly he's the MVP favorite by a bit. Um, You know we never know Embiid could drop a huge game next week and then he's going to become the favorite. So I think it's just going to be a lot of back and forth, and it's pretty unpredictable at the moment.
2: Yeah, I think if you'd asked me yesterday, kind of like similarly, I would have said Giannis. But with uh, the kind of, I mean, I wasn't able to watch the game since it's so late in France, but seeing him get blown out by the Celtics with both teams being fairly healthy is just like puts questions in my mind. So I think I'd today, if I were to vote today, I'd go default Jokic because although they slid a little bit lately, his advanced stats are as impressive as ever.
0: It's just silly. Like it's so hard to block everything out. Uh, Chris Mannix of, uh, Sports Illustrated called it a toxic MVP race that just due to whoever you pick, it sort of, by definition, forces you to kind of talk negatively of the other guys and sort of pick a side and, I don't know, it seems kind of unnecessary. Um, the, I think the Giannis actually case is getting stronger by the day because Philly is five games behind Milwaukee in the win column and then Denver is 4 games back on Milwaukee in the win column. They are uh 2 games up on Boston for the best team in the in the NBA, but then again, when you lose by 40 um on national TV against uh number 2 team in the, in the NBA in the Boston Celtics uh, on Thursday night, it it does like really bad things for your reputation and I know we only have, like, maybe, like, four to five games left of the season, but I think there's a good chance that we could see Embiid or Giannis still, like, pass Jokic, and I think this could maybe be the closest MVP race we've ever had.
2: Yeah, it's crazy, and then the fact that one of them is not going to be first-team All-NBA is just nuts. Like, (laughs) they're all, like, pretty much equal MVP candidates, like, being separated by tiny hairs and tiny it's all like narrative at this point i feel like not even basketball but one of them is going to not get that that contract salary boost or whatever because of the way the all nba is set up
0: yeah it's dumb i i think it's it's weird I, i know like basketball historians will point to yeah like there were years where um well i don't know if all nba existed back then but like um you know, between Russell and Chamberlain, only one of them could win MVP on a given year. Or, you know, back to the to the 2000s, like with between Shaq and um, um, boy, uh, Tim Duncan and, and Chris Webber and Kevin Garnett. Like, there's only so many forward and center spots go go around. But it sucks. Like, it's clearly going to be Jokic and B. They're both centers. I know. Last year, I tried to pull some funny business by saying Jokic was a power forward. It's definitely not the case um but I don't know I think this sort of gets into next thing I, I want to briefly touch on is when we uh for all NBA and the awards um there is no minimum games requirement a lot of voters they sort of look at the amount of games played by a lot of these guys and they might have a number in their head that is just loose but there's no actual line drawn in the sand and should there be a minimum games played requirement to make an all NBA team?
2: I think I'll, I'll take this first, Dan, but I think, yes, whether it should be an official like line drawn in the sand, I think there already kind of is an unofficial minimum games because like we were talking a little bit pre-show about Dame and Dame is one of the best guards, one of the best players in the NBA, but he got shut down because his like team success is irrelevant at this point. So, is all NBA like team success? Is it player success? He's only played, what did you say, 56 games, Peter?
0: Uh, 58.
2: 58 games, yeah. And like, does only being able to play 58 games make you a worse NBA player? Like, I don't know. But it is like a season long award. And part of the NBA is being able to play the whole season. And like, your success is your team's success. So, if you can only play 58 games, then your team only has you for 58 games. And that makes you less of a player even though the skill during your 58 games is the same if you know if you know what i mean so i think yes whether it should be 60 games or 70 games i don't really know because you can't blame players for injury but it would also be an interesting way to get the nba kind of out of their like um like uh rest nights and sitting players movement whatever and maybe be some action to like getting players in more games throughout the season
1: No, yeah, I definitely agree. Um, the league is better when the best players are playing. And, um, you know, as a fan of the association, I want to see the best players play. And I think, like you said, there is kind of a line drawn in the sand of, you know, there's people have this general expectation of how many games that a player should play to be eligible for an award. Um, and I think DeMar actually commented on like the MVP race. He said something about like um, that in order to win the MVP, the player should play like 78 games minimum or something. Um, I don't know if that's feasible with like just all the games going on, but I think his point is that, you know, these players should be playing more games to be, you know, in the conversation for these awards and, That also goes hand in hand with the team success, like you mentioned, Duncan. So, yeah, I would say like 70 games for the cut line. Is that too much, do you think?
0: Well, looking at it, it's going to be tough for a lot of depending on how many games are left uh, for a given team. Let's say it's around five of like the top 30 guys in the league in PER, guys who will make that 70 games. Uh, Jokic has 67 games played. Um, Shea has 64, um, Jason Tatum has 71, Sabonis has 74, Porzingis and Donovan Mitchell have 65, Trey Young 69, Laurie Marketin, 65, De'Aaron Fox 68, Walker Kessler 72, Jalen Brunson 66, DeRozan 69, uh, Julius Randle 77 games played. Bam bio 72, um, but there's not like a lot of high end talent that has played a ton of games. I mean, you're looking at Embiid 62, Luca 62, Giannis 61, Anthony Davis 50, uh, Kevin Durant 43, you know, Steph 51. It's going to be tough for a lot of these guys to hit these requirements, and if you have that hard line in the sand and you look around and it's like, well, I think LeBron's an All-NBA player. But if you miss a cough by two games, I don't know, it seems a little silly. I don't know. It's really tough. I think this gets into really the second part where if you want to have this, this minimum games played, which I think is like based off fans wanting to watch their players play and watch as fans of the association, uh, I like to, like to see the top players play then this cannot be something tied to salary. For anyone who's not aware, um, Supermax veteran player extension designations, I don't know, it's a bunch of words. Um, For a player to receive that 35% of the cap in their extension, um, they have to be either uh, a defensive player of the year uh, two of the last three seasons or the last season, MVP two of the last three seasons or the last season, or All-NBA the last season or two of the last three seasons so if you look at someone like jalen brown uh he will not sign an extension with the celtics unless he makes a all nba team and he has actually played a a healthy amount of games this season but if he missed that cutoff by one or two games and then the celtics aren't able to re-sign him um and just the impact that could have on that market i think that's really crappy for a lot of fans so um just in terms of all NBA, currently that is voted on by the media. Is that something that should continue moving forward?
2: Well, that depends. Does Kendrick Perkins have a vote for All NBA? Because I think he does. Oh, and boy. the fact that like certain players because I remember I see him saw him like talking about something like my vote's going to blah, blah, blah. But Kendrick Perkins should not have any effect on whether the Celtics can re-sign Jalen Brown. I know he's one vote out of many votes, but like it, it is kind of Like, the media should be able to vote on those awards, but it is a weird chain of events that we get into there.
1: Yeah, um, I read something from Zach Lowe, the ESPN writer. He was talking about how there's kind of a conflict of interest with, um, you know, just the media voting and, like, the player contractual situations. And, like, for Jalen Brown's case, um, like, the the Celtics, they'll be less likely to be able to retain him just because... They won't have as big of an advantage um, in the amount of money they can offer him if he doesn't make an all NBA team. So, you know, do you think this is going to affect how Boston media members vote? Um, and this is, you know, Boston media is just an example. This could be for any media member or player situation. Really?
0: I have, yeah, I that have, that is interesting. I have Doug and I found Kendrick Perkins did in fact have an all NBA vote last year. He voted, uh, his, his All-In-Bay first team last year was Giannis, Embiid, Jokic, so he cheated. Uh, Luka and Devin Booker. Um, his second team was Durant, Tatum, Towns, Jaw, DeRozan, and his third team was LeBron, Jalen Brown, so I think that's probably bias based off his last season. Bam Adebayo, uh, Trey Young, and Steph Curry. Yeah, I don't, I don't know. Um, I don't think media should have a, this much of, of an effect. I think there could be an all-star situation where it's a combination of player vote, not fan vote, uh, player vote, uh, coaches, um, and then the media, but them having sole, sole like vote over that seems a bit crazy. Uh, Stephen A also I had a vote last year, uh, if you're wondering, um, ernie johnson had i mean i love ernie johnson but uh, just just interesting um i i don't know if this will change moving forward i know there's that's been sort of a topic of discussion as the cba is there have been discussions about it and just if they allow teams to just throw the money at them without necessarily having to make these all nba selections um I do agree. It's sucky for a situation like Jalen Brown. Same thing is going to happen with the Atlanta Hawks and DeJounte Murray. Um, So we will see as the voting sort of starts to come around here in the next couple of weeks. Um, Our last topic of the day, um, uh, I bet if you had a a bingo board, I don't think you would have picked this one. We're going to talk about the Washington Wizards, everyone's favorite team, America's team because uh, they, they knocked off the Boston Celtics the other night as they tried to sort of win out and maybe overtake the Milwaukee Bucks for the number one seed in the East. And recent reports have that they are looking to re-sign Kristaps Porzingis and Kyle Kuzma to contract extensions. Now, they already have Bradley Beal on a massive contract. So I ask you the question, Dan, what are they cooking in D.C.?
2: Oh, I think you're muted, Dan.
1: (laughs) Okay. We'll try again. Yeah, I'm not really sure what they're cooking in DC, honestly. Um, You know, Perzingis had a monster game against the Celtics that night. Um, He was literally everywhere. Danny Advia had a good game, too. And, you know, people talking about Danny Advia, they're talking about him that he could be a similar player to Luca um well i don't know if that's even possible (laughs) i don't know if it's just because he's a foreign player as well but um i definitely don't think um i don't i'm not i'm not a fan of the wizards right now i don't like their situation either um i i really don't know what to what to
2: comment on them really yeah i'm in the same boat as you dan and plus like this move kind of locks up their future like i don't know I don't know how much contract frec- like uh, flexibility and cap flexibility they have right now, but by presumably signing these like multi-year extensions, to a lot of money for players who are like starting to perform but have historically not like underperformed, but like never really reached their full potential. Like I guess mostly for Kristaps, maybe he's like close to it now. But like, what is the end goal? What is is it to get the six seed in the playoffs? Like you could maybe do that, but then with that, what do you do? It just feels like. They're not thinking super big, but also maybe they're just being more realistic and saying like this: this is the talent that we have, this is the roster that we have, and our ceiling right now is a succeed to get some playoff, um, uh, like success and get our fans maybe excited about something. So I feel like it's kind of both boats, but also it doesn't feel like a huge move either way.
0: They are weird because they pretty much peaked as an organization in like 2016 or 2017, like recently peaked. Um, They had Wall and Beal. They had the meeting with Al Horford, and Al Horford was picking between the Celtics and the Wizards when deciding to leave Atlanta. And since then, basically nothing has gone right for them. Uh, They have, in a way, bottomed out the last couple of years, but they haven't been bad enough. They haven't gotten high enough of a draft pick. So they just keep picking these guys in the mid to late lottery, and none of them have really hit. Avdia, I generally like... um, but he he hasn't made the leap. Uh, Johnny Davis he has been kind of buried on this Wizards team this year as another just just another guard. Twenty one. He's not the youngest rookie in the league. Um, Daniel Gafford. I know Dan. I know you are. Uh, there's a Daniel connection. You you you, I, I, you know. I don't want to put words in your mouth. Do you like Daniel Gafford?
1: No, I think he, you know he's a he's a good he's a good rim protector. Uh, that's that's all I can speak on Daniel Gafford. I don't really have a special special connection with him other than you know the same first name.
0: Fair. He he's a he's twenty four. Uh, I always thought he got kind of buried behind Thomas Bryant, so now had his time to shine once TB was out out. Um, but yeah, then if you look at the rest of the guys, um, you're looking at thirty seven year old uh, corpse of Taj Gibson running up and down the court. Uh, you got. Corey Kispert, who's, who's had a good year, but I don't know. He's still a Corey Kispert. Um, and then, yeah, Kuz, Porzingis, Isaiah Todd. Like, what are we doing? It's they're, they're not bad enough to be super bad. The young players aren't good enough to be super good. And they don't, especially if they go and re-sign these guys, there's not a clear path here to max salary and to do some sort of big shakeup of a move. So... I think they should have just not re-signed Beal, or they need somehow trade Beal because it's just a sinking ship, and he's driving it. And I, like, do they not see what's going to happen? They've they've seen through the last six years; they've been mediocre, and they're just paying this guy, and nothing has changed. I I don't understand by any means.
2: Yeah, I'm also curious. Maybe you guys can find this better than me. I'm trying to find their like draft pick um situation i found one website and wasn't super like clear but they might have no firsts this year and they might have multiple firsts in 2024 so maybe that kind of like frames the timing of this extension a little better um of the you know next year we know we're not going to get better via the draft so we're going to lock this up and then maybe we have better assets i'm not exactly sure but i don't know if you guys were able to see like what draft picks they actually have because from where I saw like uh, currently they'd have they have three first round picks that are all getting deferred to 2024 but I don't know if I misread that because it's kind of a confusing website.
0: I, I think you're right. I don't um, believe they're in control of their picks this year. I um, I also am seeing the very confusing website. I, I think I think we're looking at the same one here. Um, Duncan. But again, pro
2: stats, something pro
0: pro sports transactions dot com. That's one. They're they're in a weird situation where why wouldn't they be in control of their own draft picks? Like, what did they why, why would they trade any picks for anyone on their roster? Like something's not adding up. So, yeah, maybe they just need to fully clean out the books in any way possible and just reset these picks and get to a situation where they can actually do something. Uh, this is a bad like analogy, but the Phoenix Suns were one of the few teams remaining in the league with future with control over their first round and second round picks for the next like five or six years, uh, up until the the Kevin Durant trade, and that gave them a lot of leverage because they're not trying to change protections on a future top fourteen protected or or anything like that or have to figure out swaps. They were just able to make that trade and run. Um, and honestly, they're not going to get Kevin Durant, obviously, but I think they need to, they just need to reset, maybe sell the team. I don't know, move the team. I I don't know. Something needs to change. The Wizards are, maybe they need to change their name back to the Bullets. Maybe that's, I don't know if even that's controversial, but things, things are not going great in DC.
1: The thing is, you know, Christoph Sprazingas has done everything right this season to deserve, you know, that type of contract. He's played many games. You know, he's, this is, I think this is his best stint so far since being on the Knicks, the Mavs. Um, and he's just available and he's playing at a really high level and he seems to be improving. Um, and I think he is the best player on the Wizards so far and he's far from their issues. You know, the their biggest issue is, like you said, Bradley Beale's contract. You know, they're going to tie down these three guys 120 mil per year for the next like like five years and they're just signing up for mediocrity and i think eventually teams like the detroit pistons and you know, the magic they're going to surpass them eventually because even with these guys they're playing you know 500 ball they're, they're a 500 team mediocrity 11 seed no, that's just what they are
0: and they're uh, they're an endless purgatory for sure. I believe that's where we put them to start the season. Uh, Porzingis even he was a kind of a borderline um, All Star when, when we looked at the All Star conversation. I think the games played might have been might have been weird, and it's hard. To, you know, there's so many there's only so many spots on the All Star. Maybe that needs to expand those rosters. Um, but at the very least. I guess you have to re sign Porzingis, to try to keep the asset, but from there I don't know. I think we'll be looking at the same spot next season and we'll see how are they uh 37 and and 45 again and and just another year of mediocrity for the Washington Wizards.
2: Yeah, that is a hard place to get out of in the NBA. It's the uh do I destroy everything and I'm bad for 3 years or do I just keep it as I am and we're like mid for 3 years? Because If they do get rid of, like, Tingus Pingus and Beal somehow magically, like, then they'd be even lower. And it's like, yes, maybe that'd be the best move for the future, but it's hard to lose now to win later.
0: Yeah, there's no guarantees you'll be able to get to that 37 wins again. It's, you know, tough to climb that mountain. But you have to be pretty happy, Duncan, though, considering you get to beat up on the Wizards multiple times a year.
2: Yeah, yeah. Well, you know the Hornets—they'll uh, beat the teams in the playoff races at the end of the year when it doesn't matter, but uh, has no, none of the same energy earlier in the season. But at least there's some like decent Hornets basketball happening right now.
0: Yeah, you get to beat the Mavericks a couple times, and it kind of creates a whole firestorm in the league. Um, you're just playing a uh, playing villain right now.
2: Oh yeah, yeah. It could be worse.
0: <laughs> that pretty much puts us at our time because we gotta keep it moving. We gotta get to. Garrett and Ryan, and then we gotta get to Sean. So anything you two would like to plug on the way out of our one year anniversary.
2: Yeah. Um I think this started with uh in the first episode we talked about Yukon men's basketball and women's basketball, and we're ending on it. We'll go Huskies when this comes out. Maybe they'll have already played, who knows? But uh hoping then giving them sending them the best of luck tonight.
1: Um yeah, I agree with Duncan. It's gonna be an exciting weekend. Hopefully we see them play on Tuesday. And I'd like to give a shout out to my guy, the Latvian laser. Uh just because, you know, I I believe I made that mistake in the first episode or one of the one of the earlier episodes and that kind of got the ball rolling for me on this podcast. And you know, it's been it's been a fun year.
0: Yeah, Luke Kennard's been holding it down in Memphis now, you know, notoriously from America, Luke Kennard. Um, but if you're looking for the Yukon the talk, that'll come right here in a minute with Garrett and Ryan. So we'll see you on the other side. All right. I'm now joined by Garrett Collins and Ryan Moreau back on the show. I know it's been, been a while for both of you, but welcome back uh, to, to the two of you.
3: Thank you. Yeah, it's been a minute. Oh, my goodness. In the one year anniversary, nigh approaching.
4: I'm very excited. So uh yeah, awesome to be back on the show. Excited to talk about uh UConn in the final four. Oh yeah. Um, yeah love <laughs> love a love a chance to talk about college basketball.
3: Absolutely, what a year it's been. Holy cow. Maybe the most chaotic on record, Ryan. What do you think?
4: <laughs> yeah, I mean, there's just something about UConn and chaotic tournaments and Oh yeah just making making runs so i mean this is rivaling the the 2011 tournament where uh you know we were the the three seed the highest seed similar to to this year 2023 and uh two mid-majors so 2011 at butler and vcu this year we got florida atlantic and san diego state so there's a lot of similarities between those years so definitely kind of has that magical feeling again that uh you know we've oh, seen yeah. with UConn in when when they make these runs. So oh my crazy. goodness,
3: and we're talking magic. What a time to be a Husky fan! Holy cow! Oh, it makes like, me
4: happy that I, I stuck it out. All uh, yeah, you know, this is my sixth <laughs> year at UConn. First two years were you know. Last year of Ollie, Whoa. first year of Hurley, Oh man. Not a not not a great time to be a Yukon. Dark. Fan. And the football days. team is bad.
3: So oh, dude, everything was bad. Brian, I think our class must have just been cursed, dude. Like we <laughs> yeah. show up, they start losing everything. I think we signed the like, hey yeah, we want to go to Yukon. Mississippi State breaks the like friggin' 111 game streak. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no,
4: the women the women haven't won mm-hmm. since we've uh Yeah we've uh yeah your college yeah
3: like dude it's uncanny you plot when we show up versus yukon success that they, they both just like as we're there it just go it's bad news man
4: yeah <laughs> the gutter
3: so. says, i'm glad you're here and the, you know hopefully they're breaking the streak it's gonna knock on wood prematurely
0: <laughs> yeah i mean you think it's yeah, money fingers crossed the thing, you know
4: so. the curse is over
0: yeah, speaking of the curse, uh they're they've set themselves up sort of well so far because uh they're undefeated this year against non-conference opponents and and obviously there there was a path oh, yeah. where they could run into another big, big east opponent somewhere down the line here in the tournament that but that did not happen and the non-conference wins have been impressive they've beaten Oregon, Alabama, Iowa State, Oklahoma State and Florida as some notables in the regular season and of course the tournament dominance coming against Iona, Saint Mary's, Arkansas, and Gonzaga. Ryan, we were just talking about how we started off with yeah. with uh, Kevin Ollie, and then we get in the Hurley era, and not to mention we go from the American to the Big East. So, Ryan, your opinion is the Big East the best mm-hmm. conference in the country?
4: I mean, I think the Big East, top to bottom, maybe this year isn't quite at the level that you know the Big Twelve is but I think we've seen these recent hires with um, St. John's getting Rick Bettino. We've got Ed Cooley moving to Georgetown. I think Providence the, the replacement with Kim Kim English from George Mason. I think that's a great hire. Kim English has been able to retain a lot of that talent at Providence keeping Bryce Hopkins and uh, other top players at Providence. So they should be you know they should be a factor next year still. Um, so I think that we're seeing, uh, it's just such a fantastic group of coaches. I think, you know, the top five in the big East this year, you could definitely argue that the five teams that made the tournament, there's no other conference with as quality of a top five. So mm-hmm. time will tell if the bottom of the big East can kind of rise to, I guess, like the level of the bottom of the big 12, which is the reason why the big 12 has just been so insane and so tough uh, in over these past few years, but uh, I, I definitely think that we're... The Big East is definitely among the top conferences, for sure, and trending upwards, in my opinion.
3: And I think you can kind of tell this year, like, people were... I mean, well, if you look at Yukon season again, right, like, they start out hot, like, white hot, fall a bunch into... Con- as conference play starts to happen, you know, and people are like, oh my god, what it was Creighton losing the savior. what's going on and then all of a sudden flash forward to the tournament you see like these are the teams that have made deep tournament runs you know like 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 you said Ryan the top five in this conference
4: yeah this and I think it's you know, anybody else it's definitely you know coaching as well you know these teams are more familiar with Dan Hurley the way he coaches and just our you know our yeah. players in general I think I think in the non-conference, these teams didn't know how to deal with Jackson and just kind of the enigma that he is. But definitely the beginning of conference play, uh, Jackson definitely got into his head, and I guess kind of credit to the Big East coaches laying off him, kind of you know getting in his head on the fact that while he's not he's not taking advantage of the fact that he's not a great shooter and sort of uh, challenging him to to take these you know these threes and these big shots and it definitely got in his head and I think Jackson's kind of journey this year has uh dictated UConn's success I think there there was a dip in in, in his confidence in early early on in conference play and also just our our schedule mm-hmm. we were on the road at Xavier at Providence at Marquette it's just yeah it's, it's tough just the nature of the conference there, you're too. gonna you're gonna drop yeah. some games in the Big East so but I think and that's part of the magic I can't I don't really have a great answer as to why we keep dominating these non conference teams and mm. then it's not even close.
3: It's it's convincing. Like I saw a stat where it's like, yeah, UConn not only undefeated against non conference Peter, like you're saying, but to the tune of like a hundred plus point margin. Like Yeah. It's not just not losing, it's not close. <laughs>
0: Yeah, it's it's, it, it's hard to again like i think what ryan said it's hard to quantify right what what is what is the gap and, and what is helping make up for this difference to me what i'm seeing is uh the big east if you watch basically any any conference games and once you get deeper into into the uh, conference play into the tournament uh, it's a physical brand of basketball and i think it lends itself to that and and when you get the referees and similar crews uh, refing these games a lot, I think there starts to be a level of, of ease and that you let these teams really get at each other. And so then when you throw in these out-of-conference teams and UConn uh, sees that uh, they're so battle-tested after having to bang with with Ryan Kalkbrenner and having to, to all the yeah. guys in, in the Big East, then I, whoever they're playing, I think they see it as an easy matchup. They see it as as an easy opponent, and I don't think they care about well, what the name is on the other side. Mm-hmm. Drew Timmy, if it's um, uh, Nick Smith for Arkansas, they really are pretty unfazed, yeah. and and they feel they have clearly they have a lot of confidence in, in themselves. Yeah.
3: Uh, yeah, I, yeah, agree,
4: I mean agree. the the non conference definitely proved what their ceiling could be. Uh, you know Alabama is the number 1 overall seed or was the number 1 overall seed in this tournament we beat them by 15 uh, yeah, we gave at them the, the pk 85 yeah. yeah so you know we've we've always known that you know they they can be and and they were at the beginning of the year one of the best teams in the country mm-hmm. so it was just can they get back to the place that they once were and they they've proven that in this tournament that they're they're, and, they're the same team that they were in November. Yeah
3: yeah and, and Pete, to your point like I think you, you hit the nail on the head there right with what makes big East play versus regular season play and, and non-conference play uh, the discrepancy that it is is like I feel like it's the same kind of team because what you see this year is this this whole year has been just terrific ball movement just like locked in intensity on the offense and the defense and like I think I think like you said, Anything can happen in, in, in the Big East and I feel like with teams that you know each other more, like you were saying earlier, like that's that's just a different kind of brand of basketball with the physicality you mentioned. Whereas I mean, these guys are gonna go out and play their, their darnest every night, no matter what, day in and day out. And I think you only get that kind of competition where we lose games when you guys got wired that same way doing big east basketball and these other schools that we drop games to. And like I feel like that's what really makes this team different this year. It's like this is they're back in the pocket in the big east. They're dishing the rock. They're doing everything right. And I feel like, especially after the couple of recruiting classes and transfers through the portal that they got this year, this team is just they're they're here they're here to they for everything And they want it all and they're gonna get it. That's like, actually they have, uh, they're uh, playing with uh, a different intensity this year.
0: I agree, and and just based off what you were just saying, this was something that sort of came in mind, and I was curious about both of your perspectives because what has really taken this roster, which had foundations in teams from previous years with guys like Jackson, uh, Jordan Hawkins, and Sunogo, yes, um, the the thing that has instilled has been the rest of the team around them, and that's been a combination of, of high recruits, and that's Donovan Kling, and that's Alex Caravan. but also really taking advantage yeah. of the new transfer portal rules and being able to import a guy and have them make an impact immediately. So that's Tristan Newton, that's Joey Kalkin. Like a guy
3: like Tristan Newton, yeah. Mm-hmm.
0: So I'm yeah. curious um, from both of your perspectives if it's something that you think takes away from the team because it almost feels like it's free agency and you're bringing guys in, or or if you're fine with it and, and you're okay with the culture that is, is still there within this team.
4: Hmm. I mean... I guess in terms of team chemistry and you know, there's like you said, there's a lot of new players to this year's team, but I don't know. I feel like there wasn't much of an adjustment period needed. If you go back to early interviews with Hurley before the season started, he did not think that the team was this good. I think it it did take a little bit of time for the team to mesh. Hurley Mm -hmm. cites a, uh, a closed door scrimmage against Virginia where Andre Jackson was hurt. I believe another top UConn player was hurt and we held our own with, you know, Virginia, which ended up being a top four seed as kind of the moment where he realized, Okay, like we're the real deal. You yeah. know, this team has finally come together. So, um, you know, I think Hurley was really Smart with the way that he handled the portal this year. He didn't. Mm-hmm. Newton was at the highest, highest ranked, I guess, portal recruit. ECF, but he, yeah. uh, you know, Calcaterra. I think no one really expected that much out of him this year, and he's. And then for know,
3: him to be like a knockdown shooter, right? Yeah, like yeah, talk about lean, in the rough. You know, I
4: think I'll 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 say I wasn't a huge Awean yeah. fan early in the year. I was like. You know, but he had some shooting woes. Magic, I thought his yeah. shot was weird looking. I was like, well, what was Hurley thinking there? But he's really, I think he's he been huge in our resurgence. Uh, Aline is playing so much better. He's, you know, he looks more confident, even with the mid-range, hitting mid-range, hitting threes a lot more mm-hmm. often. So, yeah, I think Hurley, he he, he found the right pieces to to
3: complement,
4: the, I guess, the core that she talked about, The you know, with Sunogo. yeah
3: with hawkins
4: and with jackson
3: yes and i think like to your point ryan like holdover pieces like like hawkins and sunogo and jackson right like i remember in years past there's it's it's not like there hasn't been a lot of talent on uconn teams in years past i just feel like the way they play together fit wise it hasn't been this good in a while and like i feel like across the board we have terrific depth and just culture pieces and fit with how people play with each other. Like in years past, like guys like Christian Vital or like Jalen Adams, you know, like lanky, like shooting kind of guys. But, you know, I feel like we didn't, they didn't have this big paint presence in Sunogo that they've really developed or like a huge do-it-all kind of Swiss Army man of, of Jackson, who's he's blossomed into being, who can give you damn near a triple double on a given night, you know? Maybe not yeah, really no, it's a, it's
4: definitely a uh, a unique <laughs> yeah yeah it's a unique Yukon team compared to the other other Yukon teams that have made runs in the past where there was sort of this like center figure big playmaking guard like Kemba Walker Shabazz Napier yeah. I think there's no there's no like I guess superstar as of right yeah. now on the team that's kind of taking all mm-hmm. the shine so I guess that's that is maybe the one concern with UConn is if in the final four, it is a close game and we mm-hmm. need to rely on one guy to make a big play who is confident enough to, to take that. See, um, or go I, ahead, that's funny,
3: I think it's a funny thing you brought up there. Cause like on, on the one hand, right. Like there's not like one go-to guy, you know, yeah. but like, I'm thinking, I'm thinking of where, where I was around this time last year in Buffalo, New York, watching, Friggin' New Mexico State killer mm-hmm. dreams because they went on to that one guy Teddy. And I'm like, okay, RJ, Tyrese are gonna step up and make it happen. Like they get the ball to RJ, he puts it up, deep three, clank, doesn't happen. I feel like this, the fact that there's not one guy, you know, just touching on this depth thing I said before, the fact that there's not one guy, and you could have a guy that's a threat from the perimeter, like Jordan Hawkins, who's lights out shooter, or if you need a guy, just a quick two, boom. Have Suno go throw in the post, spin around, pirouette and dunk it on it. or cling it. Like shit, we have like so many just different personnel that can be that guy to step up and be that dude in that moment and make a big time play and get the ball to where it needs to be. I feel like I feel like that's the real magic of this Yukon team, you know? And I feel like that's been like a part of the culture of this Yukon year, you know? Like, if you need a if you need a bucket, you're gonna throw the ball to Andre, he's gonna pass it to someone perfect, and then it's just gonna work, you know? like I feel like that's the real difference that that je ne sais quoi that x factor that really makes this team this team
4: yeah no, the the best defense against uh kind of not having to make a big shot in a big moment is to blow everyone out and that's what it's <laughs> been doing so well said
0: uh, well um, said <laughs> yeah i guess that's where the where so the true. fear comes in cuz if if the if the shots aren't going in um that then then really where is this team winning but again uh, if you if you look at anything advanced um they've been able to hold their own defensively i, I think it's a team with several different identities yes. whether that is something uh where their half court offense has been i think much better in march and it has been for for the stretch uh, behind um you also have guys in in Newton and Jackson that are great in running the break as well as uh this defensive identity uh, sort of led by Jackson uh, Newton and, and Klingon. Um, so as we sort of wrap up the UConn section uh, of our discussion, uh, quick uh, predictions before before we we move on. I'm going UConn 73 against. Uh, I'm going. I'm going full prediction. By the way, national championship. I'm going uh, Connecticut 73 uh, against San Diego State's 64.
3: All right. All right. Hell yeah.
4: <laughs> um, I think that's uh probably a similar prediction I'd make. I think mm-hmm. uh, San Diego State's size will yeah. uh, be a bit too much for Florida Atlantic. Um, I think that in our game with Miami, I I think the combo of Sunogo and Klingon will be too much for Miami to handle. I just don't think they have the size. They do have very good guards on Miami that scare me a little bit. Mm-hmm. But I don't think, yeah, I, I, I think the Miami-UConn game, I think UConn is going to score a lot of points. And I think our defense will be enough to hold Miami into in the 70s. We should be in the 80s. Uh, and I I don't know. Uh, UConn-San Diego State, I'll say maybe like 69 to 57 will be my, my prediction.
3: There we go. Yeah, no, I think it's, I agree. I, I had the same, same contenders in the same national championship game. I think I just think San Diego State's got such a deep rotation that FAU is not going to be able to hang with. You know, then again, I, they're a Cinderella team of all Cinderella teams this year, mm-hmm. huh? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so we'll see how that goes.
4: No, I mean the the, the line is surprisingly close. Uh, you know, for FAU, so definitely. Really. I think it, I think it's like two and a half right now. San Diego State, so they're they're giving FAU. No credit. kidding. Okay. Um, but I think. Uh, you know, FAU, they, they did play a very good team in Tennessee, but Tennessee did have injuries. Uh, San Diego yeah. State, to my knowledge, is still full strength. So um, I, I don't know how they'll be able to handle such a a physical and strong defensive team. But definitely I not, do. you know, I will not be shocked if, if they're, they're in the finals.
3: But yeah, national championship game, UConn 75, San Diego State 71. There we go. Oh wow,
0: you're going a lot closer. Maybe a little too high. Hey, it's fine. I I think
3: yeah. I don't know. It, it'll be
0: interesting how it fares, um, because I mean San Diego State has been known for their defensive identity throughout the course of the tournament, um, but of course UConn is is just the 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 bucket looks like a beach ball to them. I think it, it looks pretty wide open for them. So it, it's hard to tell where it would go. I mean maybe there's some jitters. We're playing in that gigantic Energy Stadium there in Houston, but. Uh, we will see. It's
3: true. You know, I feel like I'm only going the over there because you guys went for the <laughs> the weird, the real low with you, Pete, and then mm. Ryan smacked dive in the middle. <laughs> yeah. So, hey, <laughs> we'll cover the top. Yeah,
0: yeah, I think I think we'll no, be. you kind
3: of run the table. Yeah, okay. we'll,
0: be, we'll be covered <laughs> uh, either way, or regardless. Uh, unless FAU, I guess we're not covered there. Oh, yeah. uh, but moving on from Connecticut, true. we do have breaking news this afternoon with University of Alabama freshman forward Brandon Miller officially declaring for the 2023 NBA draft. Uh, if you're unaware, Miller had a rough tournament performance. Uh, even though his Crimson Tide did advance to the round of 16, Miller only shot 8 of 41 over three games. Uh, as the only player since 1960 Ooh. to shoot that poorly with that volume. Um, of course, so when we're talking about Miller, we would be remiss not to discuss his alleged involvement in a January 15th capital murder case, uh, which has sort of clouded him and the program. So it's Sort of tough to tell um, if that has really gotten into his game. But in terms of the NBA stock, the projections remain high on him. Some pen him as the number two prospect in the draft, ahead of G League guard Scoot Henderson, and behind Francis Wunderkind, uh, Victor Wenbanyama. So, uh, Ryan, in your eyes, is he closer to the guy we saw in the regular season and who was shooting 45% at that that elite size? Or or is he closer to someone who kind of just stunk up the room in March?
4: Yeah, I mean, I guess to your point, it's it's difficult to know how much the you know the the drama I guess or the well I should say the very unfortunate for, unfortunate situation uh, that occurred with the shooting at University of Alabama is affecting his game and in his mental space. Um, you know i guess we saw we saw in the the first few games after the incident it didn't seem to bother him that well he kind of he went off in games against i believe like south carolina so you know i think the, the talent there i'm i'm not an nba expert by any means but he's 6 foot 9 he shoots 40% from 3 you know i can i definitely see the upside there for for nba teams and his regular season was very impressive getting leading Alabama to the number one overall seed in the tournament. So I would lean towards him being, you know, deserving of top five top three NBA draft pick. I feel like you know, with the the combination of the size and the shooting, uh, there's just not many many other players like that out there,
0: yeah, it's always it's always tough to tell, right? Uh, whether whether shooting's an anomaly in college, but uh, definitely, the trend uh, lately um, throughout really basketball as a whole has been a combination of size and shooting, and being able to put the the ball on the on the court wherever you are, uh, whatever position you play. Um, that's why you see someone like Wenban Yama being so valuable because that is elite size. He can dribble, he can shoot. Uh, or you see yeah. someone like uh, even Josh Giddy of the Thunder. He's a point guard, but he's six eight, um, and he can do a little bit of everything. Even if the shooting has a little bit uh, catching up to do.
3: so true echoes of previous giddy conversations oh man but i agree i think um i don't know if this gentleman if you share a similar kind of sentiment but you know i feel like g league ignite for prospects coming out is certainly a unique and interesting case i feel like it's a little more difficult to gauge talent wise because i I think there's a question out there floated through the year like hey number two you taking Scoot or you taking brandon miller you know like like What's going to happen? And, you know, I feel like it's it's a tough call with the level of competition you're playing against. You know, I mean, college is kind of a no commodity. But then again, you know, guys that have, you know, quiet seasons can turn it up in the tournament and then sneak themselves into an NBA team and then have an eight year career. You know, so like it's 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 a wash. It's tough to say. But like you said, Ryan, shooting with size, shooting at that kind of clip, sustained through a season, you know. It's compelling, and I think you know. At, at the end of the day, you're going to go with what you can coach and what you can, it, what kind of tape you have on a player. So, I think I agree. He's he's. Um, I don't know who's going to be number three over him, even with his stinker of a march. Mm.
0: Yeah, it, it's funny what you say about the the G League Garrett because uh, wh- one of the last guys we saw go this high coming from the G League was Jalen Green. And what Jaylen was so Green. promising yeah. Uh, yeah, exactly. What was so promising about Jalen was that he struggled early on in the G League because of how difficult mm-hmm. the the league was in terms of the size and the physicality that is there in the G League but may yeah. not always be there in college. But as the G League season went on, Jalen got really good and he really earned his spot and being able to show uh battle through that adversity and to really start to perform in the G League, we thought it'd be really promising. But it's tough to say whether the just tough environment in Houston uh, maybe hasn't been conducive to his development, but he is someone mm-hmm. who puts up a, a, a high volume of shots, but it hasn't come at efficiency yeah. and it hasn't shown real growth. So you just hope that doesn't happen with Scoot. I mean, he looks electric, but um, it's super, does, it's yeah. kind of apples and oranges when you're comparing these G League guys to these college guys.
3: Yeah. And you know, I think I, I I guess I only have these kind of reservations about G League guys. You know, if you can even say it's a reservation, it's because you know, like you'll see a stat line. It's like, oh yeah, Jalen Green put up like absurd numbers in a G League. He'll drop like 40 on like 40 percent shooting, <laughs> like I mean, to go along with you know a damn near triple double. And then you'll see guys like who are like the 15th person on a roster tear up the G League. Be like like I'm thinking like, um like Mifandu Kambengale on the Celtics, you know, like he's like mm-hmm. maybe our 14th man, but like homie puts up like 20 and 10, no sweat, can jump out the building and swat shots, you know, like he looks good, you know, but he's also deep end guy, you know, like he, if, if he's coming out in the floor, you know, we're going to have a problem if you're a Celtics fan. So it's like, yeah, I, I feel like it's a little difficult for me to quantify G League, you know, whereas college is like, okay, we, we're kind of familiar over the years of watching. And years of you know knowing the kind of vibe it is, like okay, a college guy's going to need to adjust to the physicality, but you know, we've we prepared for that. We've done that with you know our Jason Tatum's of the world, you know, or like or everyone that's been through the college experience before, you know. So it's I don't know, it's but this is why I don't have a GM job.
0: <laughs> yeah, um, again, impossible to say. And I'll, you know, Gary, I'm just going to give you the baton now since since we're you're bringing up all the Celtics. Um, it's been a while since you've been on the show. Last time you were on the show, the Celtics yes. were. Yes. Uh, you know they're kind of running the league and since then i would say they're not necessarily oh, yeah. doing that so any thoughts you have would on agree. the team as we <laughs> approach the end of the season here? to
3: put it mildly huh oh man yeah no they've definitely been resting on the laurels of that friggin fantastic start where like oh my god i remember there's there was a time in early october where both the celtics and the bruins just didn't lose in td garden and i'm like this is a great time to be alive i'm loving this you know but this is a team that lives and dies by the three ball, you know? And I feel like, especially after coming off the heels of a, a huge season where they ran the table with the leak at the second half post-break and were just locked in defensively in defense, playing, like, making great smart passes, great shots, and, like, they're, like, fighting for their lives to get not just, like, high seating in the playoff, but, like, to bring get in the playoffs because they were playing dead 100, like, 500 ball going to December last year. like. Last year, if you saw a Celtics win, you could bet the farm with them losing the next game. It was just that consistent. But, you know, they just found their identity. Defense, lock in, like dominate your opponent on, you know, every defensive metric you can. Make shots, make the right pass. And I feel like a big part of the reason they haven't been so dominant, like they were in that last stretch of games running to the finals, is that they no longer have that same kind of defensive intensity or identity. And I don't know if that's like a post-finals hangover, but, you know, they didn't win, so what are they hungover about? <laughs> but, like, I feel like, <laughs> enter enter Joe Missoula, right? <laughs> he's, he's a great start, you know, and you think, like, okay, Missoula math, three is more than two. Like, let's go for the three mm-hmm. ball. If you got a team that can hit him at the clip that they were hitting at for that first couple months, it's like, okay. We can work with this. And I feel like they played themselves, and I bring up last season, because they they played themselves into having a cushion where they can go through a stretch and play like garbage in December and January and still be number two or three in the East. Like it's, you know, they have that luxury now. And I feel like we saw so much dominance last season because they were fighting for their damn lives. You know, they want to get in the playoffs. Mm -hmm. Whereas now it's like, okay, we're going to make the playoffs one way or another as a one seed, two seed, three seed, four, you know, it's happening. You know, like we're going to get up, we're going to get home court. You know, it's, it's, it's it's not as intense this year because it doesn't need to be as intense. And on the one hand, you know, seeing how our boy Jason Tatum shot in the finals, it's like, let the man rest. Right. But when he's playing the kind of minutes he's playing, it's like, what are we, what are we doing? You know, it's one thing if you're not going to have a tense and you're saving for the playoffs. Right. Mm Mm-hmm. But if you're going to spend your all-star, all-NBA franchise player 38 minutes a game, it's like we have such a deep team this year. Like, I mean, I'm not about to advocate for, you know, injury management and load management and all that stuff because I know it's kind of a, a hot topic in the league. But it's like, shit, if you saw the problem last year was these guys don't have fresh legs to shoot on. Like, l- let them let them catch their breaths, you know? And so, yeah. I feel like when this team is on, though, they're going to run the team. It's it's like I see a lot of similarities with this the UConn team we talked about earlier in the podcast, right? Like, you know, they came out swinging, went through a rough patch, and we're seeing what they've done in the postseason. You know, you bring that different intensity, and I think they're right back swinging with the contenders.
4: Yeah, well, no, what you were saying definitely made me think of UConn as well. So hopefully, right? once you know, once the pressure is on with the playoffs uh, starting soon. It looks like there's only a few games left in the regular season. Hopefully that that intensity that you seem to be longing for returns. Yes.
3: (laughs) I'm getting my fix though with the Huskies, so (laughs) (laughs) Yeah,
0: Yeah, three's a company. I was just thinking like of a team that can You've seen that when they're at their best, they're as good as anyone that there is. But, you know, will they turn it on based off the opponent? And will it all just come together at the right time? Uh, the similarities are, are extremely evident. And, um, yeah, the irony that, you know, we're following both at the same time.
3: Yeah, it's crazy, it's a crazy season, right? And that's the beauty of basketball. Anything that can happen
0: anything can happen. We'll see what happens uh, this Saturday with uh, Connecticut, Miami. And then hopefully if we'll see what happens on Monday night. So uh, as we wrap this up, yes, I just want will. to thank Garrett and Ryan again for coming on our, our one year anniversary pod and on the way out, anything you two would like to plug. Of course.
3: Oh, well, you know, I want to give major props to you, man, for making this happen for a full year. Now I know this is, I remember when you were talking to me about this way back in the nebulous beginnings of seven seconds or more, or the, Peter Howarth, unnamed podcast, you know, like I'm congratulations. And and I'm really proud of you for sticking with this and making it happen and making it such a high quality product. Now, you know, the fact that we can all come in and just have our our friends talk basketball and stuff. We love like this. Go you dude. I'm really proud of you. Thanks for making this happen. And thanks for having me back on the the one year special. I'm sorry. The work schedule hasn't allowed (laughs) a more regular showing, but bravo, my guy, bravo.
4: Congratulations, Pete. Yeah, no. I mean I I, I feel very you. similar where I think it, it's very cool that you know, you're able to to create something something like this and it sounds incredibly professional listening on I listen on Spotify. I'm sure you're on Apple Apple Podcasts, wherever you get your podcasts. Um every on everything, every, on everything, every every podcast. Get them. So um, yeah, no, it's 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 a pleasure to be on here. Um, you know, my my area is more more college sports, so and you know, this is more a uh, professional focused podcast, but I'd love to come in and provide my insights whenever, you know, whenever it's necessary And with the Final 4. This is, you know, this is a super better exciting time. time for me. So, you know, love yeah, no better you know, time. Love, love being on here today. So, thank you for having me.
0: Yeah, well, I, I didn't, I didn't bring the two of you on just to, to just to boost my ego, but uh, thank you very much for all of that, and of course of for coming
5: course,
0: on. Uh, you're welcome as always, and um, yeah, uh, we'll be. And I think right now we are throwing it now to Sean. So we'll see you on the other side with Sean. I am now joined by a man who I don't think will buy Brooklyn Nets jersey for about ten plus years because his last two purchases were Kyrie Irving and Kevin Durant. That is our own uh, resident Brooklyn Nets fan, Sean Moore. Thank you. Thank
5: you. Yeah. um, You know, I thought about getting a Harden jersey a couple of years back, and you were the one to actually say, like, maybe I'll wait on that, see if he uh, signs an extension. So I do have to uh, give you a shout out for that one. But, yeah, I mean, my my Durant jersey, it's still in the closet. Um, You know, the tie-dye, it's sick. The Kyrie, it's uh, it's hidden away. It's, It's never coming out.
0: Yeah. Uh, well, you, it's the it's the stock black Kyrie, so it can it can blend into the corner of the closet. No one has to know it's there.
5: Yeah, it's like it never happened. Well, the
0: hard, The hard one is funny um, because I, I I've said this before, but so many people were buying the Kyrie Boston jerseys when it happened, and I employed the same. Wait for the extension. Like, let's not get get crazy here. Um, in hindsight, I do think yeah. a Harden. Uh, Nets jersey would be hilarious and i think it'd actually be the best of the three to have maybe
5: yeah i mean in the same light i was just gonna say it would definitely be the worst of the three um i don't know that Kyrie one it uh it means a lot there's a lot of there's a lot of meaning behind the Kyrie jersey the hardened one would just be kind of like a forgotten memory
0: yeah it it, i think it would look like a fake jersey it's like a it's like a superlative jersey uh i'm trying to think of someone else it was going to be that
5: city one too like that that navy blue city jersey that like at the time might have been cool but now i just kind of look back at and be like "Ah, we were bad in those jerseys so yeah
0: there were there were many many times I looked at one of the Nets City jerseys and thought about pulling the trigger on a Durant and it never happened so I am I'm glad I I withheld my purchase. There you go. You're gonna get a Suns one now. I don't know. I don't know. I've been wanting to get a Devin Booker for years and I was waiting till they released the purple sunburst jerseys and they they came back out with them but uh, I don't know. I just they are sick.
5: I, the throwbacks
0: yeah i i think it's one of these things as when you get older it's like like how often are we wearing jerseys it's it's not something that you can do as regularly
5: definitely i mean like growing up in middle school on our list of things to buy like there are video games maybe sneakers jersey what else is there there's a couple more expenses now
0: yeah you I, i have to like remind myself sometimes i'm like what do i want oh my god like uh I I like I want to have a Jalen Brown jersey like that'd be cool and then I'm like ah there's yeah there's there's real people things we have to deal with first before another jersey yeah but you're right definitely definitely holding off on the Nets
5: jersey for now
0: yeah probably a a wise investment although if there's one guy that I think would be at the top of the list for any Nets fan it'll be Michael Bridges who I want to just briefly talk about uh, now who I think is really putting the fun back in this Nets team Uh, in 20 games played for the Nets since uh, being the centerpiece of the Kevin Durant trade back to Brooklyn uh, on 34.7 minutes per game. He's averaging 26.8 points uh, and he's shooting uh, nearly 50, 40, 90 shooting 49.6% from the field, 41.2% from three and uh, 91% from the free throw line. Now this is something we're going to get into uh here in a little bit but the vibes that Mikal brings to the team I mean you can see everyone around the league and even throughout like I've seen high school and college are pulling out his celebration with the sidewards three and he just has brought like energy back to this team um how desperately did this team need this after just so
5: much moping and looking around yeah um vibes is a perfect word for it um when, you know, we moved past the, the superstar era of the Nets, if you want to call it that. Um, you know, the clear thinking, at least from ownership, was, you know, we need to like change the culture and and, you know, get back to those days before the, the Katie and the Kyrie signings where, you know, we had Kenny Atkinson coaching and the bench was going crazy and you saw those like edits on Twitter because um, the vibes were, were sky high. Um, we needed to get that back for sure. Um, do I think that superstar play outweighs vibes? Probably. But that being said, I'm happy where the Nets are at right now. I think it's it's a pretty good start to this new era of the Nets, especially considering the immense fallout that that came from the trade. So um, Macau has been great. And, you know, I love the the um, early, like, comparison stats where uh, you looked at, like, KD on the Suns and Macau on on the Nets, and, like, it was almost equal. Um, but the funny thing is we're getting to the point where it still feels like not that they're the same player, but the same situation is happening, um, where we see Macau, like, recently drop 40, like, or 40-plus on um, the Magic, and they lost by 20 points. <laughs> so, um, you know, the vibes are a lot better. Team team's still got a lot to, to do, and um, they're definitely in a difficult situation where um, they have to decide between the lottery and maybe a playoff push. But, yeah, that's a long-winded answer. But, in short, the vibes are immaculate.
0: Yes, the, vi- the vibes are great. I still see those edits of the bench going crazy, doing the little the little hop thing in the foot. I don't even know how to describe it. Um, but exactly what it's you're great. saying about the team result, maybe not being there, even though Macal has, has been showing up. Since the Kyrie trade, February 6th, the Nets are 26th in the league in win percentage, they're 8-15 and 15 over that stretch. Uh, They are 18th in three-point percentage. They're 25th in offensive rating, 17th in defensive rating, 17th in assist percentage. Uh, And uh, basically, the highest stat of the remaining ones I have written down is turnover percentage, in which they are 11th. That's the only stat of a ton I wrote down, in which they're in the top half of the league. Um, They're going to have all these assets. Uh, They they got four first-round picks. From Phoenix, along with Cameron Johnson and Macau. They got a first round pick from Dallas. Uh, They got a couple picks back from Philadelphia in the James Harden trade. While the vibes are good and it's nice to have a team that maybe is a little scrappier, a little hungrier, it seems that with the destination that Brooklyn is and the amount of salary and and assets they're going to have, that they're going to be at the forefront of whatever superstar is is coming next just as a, as a cautionary tale, maybe what do, or don't you want to see out of someone coming to Brooklyn? Cause I think we've seen a lot of what cannot happen to an organization that is running high on vibes.
5: Yeah, that's a really good question. Um, I I think commitment is probably the, the number one answer. And I mean, that's not even a knock on. The previous guys and KD was committed to the team. Um, signing Kyrie, Kyrie seemed very committed to the team in the moment. Being a, a New Jersey Nets fan growing up, um, so it's a difficult thing to to scout out. But um, I think you want a guy who's all ball, similar to Durant. Um, but maybe I think in looking for that superstar, um, don't shoot for the stars. Find a guy that you're confident with that can elevate this team and build, um, grow these young players that are obviously um, still young, but are showing signs of um, stardom in the future, hopefully, or or at least just progress. Um, so I don't know who that would be, um, but a guy that's willing to to grow with a with a new team and maybe not start out um, competing for a chip, but get there and and develop. It's always tough
0: to forecast of who, A, who would be available and B, who would be a good fit. I think you said it best when you said that you don't want to shoot for the stars necessarily um, and go for the highest caliber guy because there is that culture thing that exists. And I think when you import Irving and Durant at the expense of what you were building, um, sometimes that can be too quick. So just two names that came to mind initially were Carl Anthony Towns and Zach Levine. Um, they've been very moody players over the course of their career. I don't think they would maybe have the appetite to a take New York media and be deal with a team that um, again, still hasn't really proven themselves in in a long time. Um, so I don't know. I, I think this will be interesting to see. I, I Everything I've heard from Nets fans as yourself, um, it is a, a Group to be sympathetic for, uh, Mina Kimes included. Um, <laughs> her, her vibes are down, um, right. yep. But speaking of vibes, that's is, she's a Seahawks uh, fan, though. Uh, she so she's a Seahawks fan, but she's a net. I, I don't exactly know where the Nets yeah, fandom I team I is, but I think it's yeah. hilarious.
5: Yeah, I mean, the Seahawks they're still good, so they're uh, in they're a tremendous them. situation, honestly. Where they can make the playoffs and also have a top five pick, so um, she's got something going for her.
0: That is, uh, and hey, they're they're paying Geno Smith like he's the guy. We'll see how that ends up fairing out. Yeah, it's a one year deal. It's it's a one year deal. Uh, like we we're saying with the vibes, we're going to do a short draft here. Five players each, we're going to be drafting the best vibes guys in the league because I think the Nets, they were the vibey team, and then they weren't. They were the exact opposite of the vibes. Hmm. So uh, I have my my big board here. I know Sean has, you have yours. Uh, We're not going to go snake style because it's two people. I think that's unnecessary. Uh, But Sean, you will be kicking us off here with the first pick.
3: Yeah,
5: sure. Um, I'm excited to see where you go from from this, but I think that there are, are an obvious top two. Um, but out of that top two, I'm going to take Giannis. Um, given the state of the league right now, um, Giannis is just, he's a character, man. Um, not often do you see a player of that size, um, who's also just an insane goofball. Um, the like the play on the court matched with like his social media presence, um, the shit he'll say online is so funny and I won't get into it, but like Giannis is just kind of like the NBA sweetheart, I think at, at this point still. And um he plays Milwaukee and, you know, and he hasn't left. And I think there's something to say about the loyalty and um, that might lead into a future pick, but um
0: yeah, oh, Giannis. Oh, never won. Forecasting it. No, that's a fantastic pick. I think I, when I thought vibes, I went straight to role player. So I think uh, I'll be honest. Giannis was not on my big board, but it's like it's it's. I think it's a consensus pick. I, I feel dumb now. So I think I'm think I'm scrambling. I think uh, <clears throat> I think I'm just gonna try to hijack this with a pick that uh, I thought might be coming down your way sometime. So I'm just I'm going full rogue now. I'm gonna go with the guy who was so happy to return to home. Spencer Dinwiddie. He is he is the Brooklyn Nets. He, uh, he gave so much energy when he joined the Mavericks last year, but now back on the Nets, he is so happy to be back home and you can tell how much fun he has playing for that team and that city. Um, so just as everyone predicted, Giannis and then Spencer Dinwiddie.
5: <laughs> I like that. I like that pick. Spencer is definitely a vibes guy. I think um, the vibes can be high and low with Spencer Jinwiddie, but um, he definitely brought some character to Brooklyn that was, was very missed. Cool. All right. Um, so I'll take over again. And I'm going with starters here, and I'm going to go with Luca. Luca was my number two. Uh, recently, Luca's been struggling a little bit. Um, he needs to talk to a therapist, maybe. A little bad for Luca. I don't know what happened. Um, I don't know if something new like came into his life or, or somebody new and might've like changed his situation that he was comfortable in. Um, I don't know who or what that could be, but, uh, I love Luca. Luca's so much fun. Um, again, he's such a goofball. And, um, I think every, almost every player in the NBA, um, uh, minus a few Devin Booker, um one to be named um, (laughs) loves Luca and loves his antics. And he's going to be my number two. I,
0: I thought about Luca.
5: Um,
0: although the vibes have been so atrocious lately that I decided to stay away from it. Um, I don't know if you're actually trying to allude to this, but, uh, a person who has entered his life recently is, is Kyrie Irving. And I think he has maybe sapped, sapped the, the Luca juices and the Luca magic away. Um, so I didn't want any part of anything oh, funny. of the Mavericks.
5: Yeah, that's funny. I I wasn't even thinking about that. No, just that's coincidence. Huh, that's that's hilarious
0: to me. Um, but Luca off the board, um, you know, I, I think we will when we make the, the graphic for this, we will have to f- clarify this is a vibes thing and not talent because I am losing by a lot <laughs> right now. Uh, but if we're talking vibes, I mean, there's one player in the league that um, I think he might be in the league solely for vibes, and that is uh, the man who loves goldfish, Boban Marjanovic, uh, Luka's old buddy, wherever he goes, he he just becomes beloved by fans and he has a new sidekick, whether that's Tobias Harris or Luka Doncic or whoever it is, um, but easy pick, uh, I think. Uh, early
5: steal draft for me. Yeah, no, that is a steal. That was actually gonna be my next pick. Um Ooh. especially for the Luca connection there. Um so I'll give it to you. That that one's really good. Um okay. You know, I'm I'm honestly going kind of around my big board instead of just uh, order by order, but you know, we have to consider um player need here. So uh, I'm gonna go with um a wild card and I'm gonna take Kawhi mm. Leonard. Oh, my. Um, I think Kawhi is the most <laughs> unique personality um, in all of the NBA. But um, he can definitely be a wild guy. And I think that um, players just love to like try to get that other side of him um, because he can be such like a stonewall and um, show no emotion sometimes. But um, I don't know. It's different. And I want a little bit of a unique personality on my team. So Kawhi's is my, number three.
0: I think it works. Uh, I think Kawhi and Giannis together would be hilarious because I think they would either be best friends or I think Kawhi might want to like choke him out for just being too much at one point.
5: Yeah, absolutely. I think you would, you would see Giannis be able to, again, the crack a smile every once in a while. Maybe, maybe let out that horrendous laugh of his. Oh God. <laughs> My next pick
0: I, you can, if if you want me to amend it because you think it's cheating, that is fine. But I have on my big board, I have it written down as the Lopez brothers, uh, the tandem of them specifically. You get Brooke and Robin. I'll
5: allow it. I'll allow it. Uh, okay. Okay. Given, given the excess amount of actual talent on my team, it's only fair that you get one extra guy. Okay.
0: Wow. Okay. Uh, I'll, I'll take it, I suppose. Um, yeah, a lot of this is due to all the antics they would do when they were on the Bucks. Uh, I remember uh, in their pregame sort of huddles and warm-ups, they would just mimic WWE wrestling moves on each other. Giannis was really in the thick of that as well. Uh, they were mostly scared Giannis would actually do a real move and hurt himself, which no one wanted. Um, but, you know, they're, they're always joking around. They're always saying oh, they want to go to Disney. Uh, they had him mic'd up for, I think it was a Celtics-Sparks game a while back, and Brooke was hilarious. So um, they've been around a while, but
5: they're still uh, high on the vibes list. I like it. I like it. And I think they, they do go along as a pair. You need them both. Package deal. Great. All right, what are we on, number four? This is fourth pick, yes. Okay. I'm going to go a little bit different here. Um, I'm going to pick Steven Adams. Um, I think Mr. Adams has been, um, definitely a violent player at times, but I'm going to spin zone that and say that I think he, he's a great protector of his teammates. I think, you know, he's all about the team and, um, whenever there's like a fight or anything going on, you're always seeing Steven Adams get in the middle of it and, um, trying to calm things down or at least protect his guys. So, um, I don't know if. Giannis really needs the protection or Kawhi. <laughs> um, but he'll be in front of Luca just in case Luca gets into a scuffle with Devin Booker. Stephen was on my big board.
0: He was he was on the short list near the top. Um, so great pick. Uh, I think you were you hit the nail on the head when you're saying he's that guy who kind of steps up or steps in. I believe it was reported after I don't know which of the incidents, but I want to say the gun incident for John ja Morant that Steven Adams was the one who sort of either approached Shaw or wanted to approach the team for a player's meeting. Um, And so he's a veteran presence. It always confuses me how he's been on like three teams now because he's like that. He's really good and he's really likable. It's like a good balance to have in a player. Um, Fantastic pick. I'm very jealous. I am going to rival with a big man of my own. Um, Someone who also has been on maybe one or two too many teams for how good he is and how nice he is. Uh, Al Horford.
5: It's waiting for the Celtic.
0: Yeah. I only have a couple on the big board. And so this is my first one, but Al, um, you see how he was, he was winking after his, some of his big games in the playoffs last year, how he would flex, how he always flinches, uh, during the missed free throws really bad. Um, he is he is pure vibes. There's so many players on the Celtics who have talked about how important he is and how the team dynamic really changed once he uh they traded back for him in his second stint here in Boston. Um, but he is he is pure vibes and fun fact, I believe as of today, or at least as of a couple days ago, he is leading the league in three point percentage at forty five point six percent. Wow.
5: Crazy stat. Didn't know that at all yeah and for al I think there is something to be said about um a player coming back to a team that he already played for before I think it it just shows a good relationship and Al's definitely definitely a good guy
0: yeah, I didn't realize I have two of those guys because I also have Dinwiddie,
5: yeah yeah, and both times they're beloved when they come back mm, very much um, so again it shows that the the connection is there. All right, um, gonna go with my last pick here, and I'm surprised I actually made it to this pick because I did foreshadow it, um, towards the top. But, um, just like Giannis, who's been very loyal to his city, I'm gonna take Damian Lillard. Um, Dame's a superstar. Um, always have to say that on this podcast, but um, oh god, that I was think insane. The people. <laughs> it was um, but yeah. I think the people of Portland really, uh, really appreciate Dame for everything he's done. Um, he always is going to get uh, criticism for uh, not ring chasing and, and for sticking with, with that city. But um, again, another team player uh, who the guys can appreciate and then uh, maybe follow in his footsteps and stick around to whatever Brooklyn or whatever my, my all vibes team, wherever it's located. Um, the, uh, Dame Lillard is going to wrap up my, my top five dame uh, uh he was he, he was uh definitely on the bubble for my board
0: um my only thing was um i feel like his vibes are are kind of down at the moment because he's being shut down for the season and portland he he's kind of talked recently on how you know how like how long can he can he keep going if the team's not really like maybe helping to put the team around him and compete but I think the only thing getting in the way yeah. of your team's vibes right now is uh the ball. Uh like there's only one ball to go around <laughs> between Giannis, Luca, Kawhi, and Dame. I think Steven Adams is fine with it, but the other guys, they might need to might need to sit down and talk about it.
5: Yeah. That that is true. There aren't a lot of role players and you now that's because like a lot of the vibes guys are role players. I guess it's just not um the way I went. But yeah, I know and Dame definitely does have a uh a uh, fair reason to complain at this point um, it's been so long and uh, I wonder if, if he will ever get out of Portland if, if he does it'll definitely be strange to see
0: I don't know I saw some people talking about I don't exactly know who it was because I thought it was kind of dumb after I read it a couple times but they were saying if uh, he went to the Knicks that it would be he would be lighting up MSG and he'd be one of the greats of all time if he won anything for the Knicks.
5: Oh yeah, for sure. It, um, yeah, definitely. It kind of reminds me of of the Mitchell um, mm. free agency just or trade just a year ago um, in a similar way. He'd definitely be beloved by by Knicks fans if he went there. Yeah, I I uh, I think they, they fall the the savior
0: of New York.
5: It's that sort of quota they, they fall in. Yeah, yeah. It's every New York team every New York team needs a savior. And, um, it's, it's like the big pitch too. whatever sports like you can come here and be a hero and like get your name, you know, permanently. Um, I don't know, like engraved in, in New York sports culture, but how many times has that actually worked? Um, it hasn't in the past decade, couple decades, but no, yeah, I'm it's definitely I'm... the pitch.
0: I'm still waiting for the guy to come in and save it, uh, for really a lot of, a lot of these teams. It's where we're waiting on the day. I am going to wrap up this draft. Um, I've, I've looked at my team so far. I have a pretty old team and it's all role players pretty much. So I'm going to go with a young guy who I think is a star. And I think given the situation, he could be a superstar. And, uh, if we're playing a real team here, which I'd, I'd get crushed anyways, um, I need someone to score the ball. So I'm going with Tyrese Maxey. He's always smiling. He's always got a big old uh, big old grin on his face. Uh, and he, is just, he plays with so much energy. And if he was not on the Sixers, I would never watch their games because I love you, Joel. You're a great player. That team is not fun to watch. And Tyrese, whenever he has the ball in his hands, he provides such a spark. Um, and he just is such a, a breath of fresh air for everything that's going on with the Sixers.
5: Yeah, that's a good pick. Definitely a good pick, um, especially considering a guy who can, you know, be in the middle of of a team with such high expectations and, again, have a smile on his face the whole time and uh, not really complain. Um, no, I think definitely a fan watching your team would probably have a lot more love for, for that team, whereas mine, like, each individual guy, um, probably is is um widely like regarded as a vibes guy um but maybe putting them all together would be catastrophic. I should learn my lesson from my from my fandom, but regardless, they're my top five. Hey, I, I think
0: uh I, I think depending on the approach of the fan here, I think I think there's something for everyone. Uh just to recap the teams uh with Sean he, he has Giannis antetokounmpo Luka Doncic Kawhi Leonard, uh, Stephen Adams, and Damian Lillard. I have Spencer Dinwiddie, Boban Marjanovic, Brooke, and Robin Lopez combined, uh, Al Horford, and Tyrese Maxey. So make your picks. Let us know on Instagram at seven seconds or more um, or uh, anywhere else. I don't know. You can track us down. It's not that hard to figure out how to do that nowadays. Um, just quickly, a c- couple of honorable mentions I had on my big board. I don't know if you had any people left for you, Sean. I had a Luke Cornett. Uh, there's my other Celtics pick. I had Kobe White, who uh, he just seems like he can never do any wrong. Uh, Macal Bridges, who I thought he'd get picked after we talked about him, did not happen. I have old man Mike Conley, and then I have my own wild card pick. Uh, I didn't. I didn't end up using, but Jordan Clarkson. Uh, he's a weirdo. He he does the weird leprechaun thing when he wants to get into a fight. Um, if I needed some crazy energy, I would have gone with him.
5: Yep. All, all good picks that were, uh, that were stored away, but I, um, I also had Mikal Bridges and, um, I think just after the the conversation I wanted to, uh, leave that for there, but Mikal has been, been great. And, um, definitely is a role player with superstar potential. Um, I had Carl K- Anthony Towns as well, um, can be kind of dramatic and that's ultimately why I didn't pick him. But, mm. um, similarly to a couple of the other player players i picked, um, you know, has stayed in Minnesota for a while, um, pretty beloved by his fans and, uh, and dominant player on the court. So he's kind of got it all. Um, I had Jokic. I think Jokic is just a little too, um, Non emotional, and I think when you put him next to like Luca, maybe like he'd kind of show his, his character. But um, by by himself, I think Jokic is a little uh, not as vibesy as I wanted. And then, um, wild card pick here, uh, Mac McClung. Um, oh my god, the vibes that he <laughs> brought off <laughs> in the NBA dunk contest. Um, I don't know if I can qualify Mac McClung as an NBA player. Um, but the vibes were certainly sky high um, for one night for Mac McClung.
0: Sky high, yeah, that's an accurate way to say it. Um, I think the Mac McClung pick, it, maybe, yeah, maybe like a month ago, it would have gone over well. I think he's been pretty quiet since, um, and he was before then. Yeah. So, uh, so that's uh, all we got with Sean. Sean, I appreciate you coming on the show for our for our anniversary. Uh, one of the uh, only friends of the show we have. So again, thank you for your time.
5: (laughs) Yeah, absolutely. Thanks for having me back. And, you know, shows come a long way and I'm just happy to be a part of it. Anything to plug on the way out? Absolutely not. No plugs. Um, You can follow me on Instagram, uh, but that's about it. Is it a Sean
0: Moore underscore?
5: It's the underscore Sean Moore and um Um, flipped it you can find me in the the followers list on seven seconds or more on instagram
0: (laughs) yeah he is one of the lucky few he'll also probably be tagged so you can go find him where he is and that does it for the episode again thank you to everyone who has listened to us and supported us through one year it's been a long but crazy and super fun 40 episodes we'll see if we get if we're on the pace for that 80 episodes next year and then we'll be near the sanctuary mark and I'm sure we'll do something fun and exciting for that but be on the lookout for us to keep churning these out again it's a lot of fun and we appreciate all the support that everyone has lended us through a a wild and fun year so we will catch you all next time